0: Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast, all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. My guest today on Better Than I Found It is longtime University of Texas golf coach, John Fields. John is one of the giants in our profession. He has won two national championships, been uh, the national coach of the year twice has coached two world number one players that eventually became world number one in professional golf, Uh, has done an amazing amount for our profession, including a stint as the president of the Golf Coaches Association of America. John's just been a, a great, great friend of mine for a long, long time, and a great competitor of mine for a long time. And I'm glad to finally able to bring him on better than I found it. I hope you'll enjoy the listening. Okay, Better Than I Found It listeners, let's give a big shout out and welcome to University of Texas men's golf coach, John Fields. John, thank you so much for joining me today on Better Than I Found It.
1: Thanks, Mike. Um, I'm delighted to be here and I'm uh, congratulations on what you've done with college golf and the mentorship you've had with other coaches and I'm excited to be here today and maybe uh, delve into collegiate golf today and and in the past
0: yeah you know um, obviously when people talk about collegiate golf i mean university of texas is one of the schools that's mentioned you know in, in the conversation about what are the top schools you've been there gosh john i think you've been there 25 years is that right
1: that's correct i'm in my 26th and uh both pearl and i count our blessings on a daily basis that uh that the Lost Dodds thought well enough of me 26 years ago to hire me as the head men's golf coach at the University of Texas, one of one of five uh, in a 95 year history.
0: Well, and you know, it wasn't like you were just off the street; you were doing a really good job at New Mexico, so it's understandable why the would have done that. But you know, if you think about it, at just that 25 year period, where you were at New Mexico for 10 before that, but The 25-year period since you and I have both been in, I got in college coaching literally um, the same month as you were hired at Texas. So, I mean, because I saw you at the golf camp at Oklahoma State, and you were at New Mexico, and like a week later, you were the golf coach at University of Texas. So, I've been in college coaching as long as you've been at Texas, pretty much. But it's changed a lot, hasn't it?
1: Well, there's no question. I, th- I think the elevation of collegiate golf has uh, been growing since the 50s, 40s. Um, now, you're the historian, so you know Yale uh, has all those national championships to to rest upon. And, of course, those were in the 40s. And, uh, and then University of Houston came along late 50s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and really dominated. And then a young Mike Holder took over kind of mid 70 ish, or maybe late 70s. And and, uh, he took over there at Oklahoma State. He had his dominating run for essentially 20 years. And, uh, and since then, uh, the elevation of collegiate golf has encompassed uh, kind of a tremendous amount of growth, but also uh, a lot more parity.
0: There's no doubt. There's so many more good teams now than there were 25 years ago when I first got in. When I first got in, you probably had 10 or 12 teams that probably had a realistic chance at competing for a national championship. And I mean, it's a lot deeper than that now. And just the, the fact that schools are now putting a lot of money into facilities, which they weren't doing back then to speak of. And I mean, you've seen the facilities change at the University of Texas. I, I, we could go down a list of about 50 or 60 schools that have markedly changed their facilities during that same time as well. But also, when you were walking fairways when you first got to Texas, you didn't have to recruit it against as many schools as you have to recruit against now. It's changed. I mean, all across the board. It's, it's a much, much more competitive situation.
1: It is. Um You know, the core, and and you and I have the commonality with with Mike Holder in our lives. Um, Myself, uh, because when I took it New Mexico, I wanted to quickly try to elevate the program. And our good friend Cricket Mush had um, gotten stepped out of coaching. He had been the head coach at the University of Texas, El Paso. And actually, I think it was 1989, he was the national coach of the year. And you can... Funneled down to his success, and again it was Mike Holder who befriended him and gave him a tremendous amount of information, and he followed it to a T. And as a result, the University of Texas El Paso was uh, one of the best teams in the in the nation. Showed up looking good, and uh, and and really for me that was more of a model for our New Mexico program than any other program. I mean we couldn't aspire initially to what oklahoma state had done at that time frame but we could aspire to what cricket mush had done at the university of texas el paso and i'm talking about in the mid to late 80s and what he did is he aligned himself with mike holder uh started walking around with him at recruiting uh sites um and you can imagine it's kind of like um hanging around somebody who has tremendous success and not necessarily taking the leftovers, but taking the ones that don't quite measure up to that program. And then next thing you know, you've got this really dynamic program. That's what UTEP did. And I, and I think we did something similar at New Mexico. I ended up doing Mike Holder's camp. I I would encourage like you do my young coaches to, to go to camps and learn how to uh, teach, but also, just to hang around maybe uh, older successful coaches that might have some great ideas for, for younger guys. But the, uh, the bottom line is, there's 300 Division One programs right now or more, and I, I think about 100 of them are funded to win. And what I mean by that, they've got great tournaments, they've got great facilities, they travel properly uh, in a nice way, but when you get right down to it, it all kind of emanated out of Stillwater, Oklahoma.
0: Well, and I was a big part of that program, obviously, and I, I grew up in the shadows of that program. So I, I saw college golf change from what Labron Harris was doing before Mike Holder, which was sort of uh, meat and potatoes, if you will. It wasn't a big deal. They didn't travel very far. He didn't go. He didn't do much in recruiting because he just didn't have the funds to go recruit and travel and. I think Mike Holder told me a story about a, a, a gentleman named Bud Serratine, who was at the first Cowboy Pro-Am in 1973 when Mike was a brand new coach. And when Bud passed away years later, Mike got very emotional. And he told a story of how Bud was the first donor that reached out to him and said, what do you need? What do you need to take this program to a completely different level? He said, well, Bud, we don't travel. You know, We just kind of play in and around Texas and Oklahoma. But I want to go to the coasts, East Coast once and West Coast once. We need to fly. And so it's going to cost a lot more money to do that. And Bud said, you got it. And so Bud took care of him, I think for a four or five year period, took care of every flight they had. And Mike was able to now start traveling. Plus, he recruited outside, you know, the Texas, Oklahoma region. So it's like, That, I mean, that didn't happen beforehand. And I mean, it really didn't. So it was, it's kind of amazing how that evolved too, you know, but it did start right there. One of the best programs for sure.
1: It did. And and uniforms even were uh, not utilized until the mid sixties. And I think Labron Harris, probably coach Williams at Houston. And I know George Hannon, we're at the crux of starting to wear uniforms and then all of a sudden uh, coach williams down at houston put the name of the school on the back of the shirts at the all-american and everybody would proudly wear those there's a picture of our ben crenshaw winning the 1972 national championship he's got his back turned to the camera because he just made a 20-footer to tie tom kite and on the back is texas and uh so so teams would actually utilize a shirt that they picked up at the All-American and, and, uh, and utilize that for the national championship. And and that's something that Nike has done now, and that's something that uh, our programs are uh, more identifiable. And, and it's just been a wonderful moment in our history these last 10 years because the Golf Channel has now come on board. Uh, we're getting exposure at the grassroots level, which is junior golf. It has enhanced the American Junior Golf Association. It's enhanced high school programs across the board, whether it's Oklahoma, Texas, California, Florida, or all parts in between. Um, golf's had a really nice space. I was worried during COVID that it might be the death blow. And it has, again, the good Lord said, no, that's not the way it's going to be. I like this sport. So <laughs> we <laughs> we've grown. We've grown in a pandemic, which is amazing. And now our clubs all have waiting lists for people to get in. They've got kids they want in our programs. And uh, what an exciting time to be involved with collegiate golf, junior golf, and just golf in general.
0: And absolutely. And, you know, you and I could probably talk for five or six hours just about the history of how all this came about. But to suffice it to say, you've been doing this a long time. Is it 35 years?
1: I'm in my 36th year right now.
0: Yep so that's a long time let's talk about sort of the how okay we're going to talk a lot about texas here in a minute but you started in new mexico and new mexico university of new mexico has a very interesting deep recruiting tree if you will both as head coaches and assistant coaches so let's just talk about that briefly and you were right in the middle of that
1: well i was um there was a guy named george petrel i think he had been a football coach and he Started the program at New Mexico, um, I'm going to say late 40s, early 50s. And then a, a gentleman named Dick McGuire, who was a high school coach, but was more like a minister, actually, to be quite honest with you, um, was, the, was the coach there for 20 plus years. He was also the director of golf at the University of New Mexico. He, uh, we had what was called the North Course or the University Golf Course on campus. And then he was at the crux of building a new facility called the Championship Golf Course at the University of New Mexico. It has now hosted the 1976, 92, and 98 NCAA Championship. So golf was really important, and it was important to the state of New Mexico because you don't have the affluence, maybe the oil business or the uh, tech business in, a, in a New Mexico. It's more government-oriented. But they felt, importantly, that... Golf was uh, a big part of the equation for students and staff at their university. So you have the championship golf course at the University of New Mexico. You have New Mexico State University golf course. New Mexico Highlands has a golf course. Um, Eastern New Mexico has a golf course. New Mexico Tech has a golf course. Things that nobody would know about. But that was just a decision made by the state for higher education to uh put that as part of the equation into their universities and as a result you have two really fine programs there University of New Mexico and New Mexico State that are division 1 and and New Mexico's had tremendous success New Mexico State had a nice run as well and and they're doing it again with Mike Dirks at the helm but bottom line uh it it is a place where you might not think golf would be extensive but it has been and I was a part of that and uh I followed Dwayne Knight, who had followed Dick McGuire, and then after me was J.T. Higgins for four years, and now um, Glenn Millican for 21 years. So they don't have a whole lot of coaches either. There's been stability in the program, and uh, I believe that's why there's been so much success.
0: Well, that's good to hear. And, you know, there are assistant coaches too. Ryan Murphy is now the head women's coach at the University of Texas. Jim Anderson is the head coach on the men's side at University of Arizona, and Brian Corton is the coach at Texas A&M. So the assistant coaches have done well out of that too. But three national champions not three, pardon me, four national championships have come out of that program. Dwayne Knight won one at UNLV, JT Higgins won one at Texas A&M, and you've won two at Texas. So uh, I'd say that coaching tree has been pretty successful and nobody ever talks about it.
1: I, I agree with you, and and I can tell you when J.T. Higgins won the national championship in 2009 with the Texas A&M Aggies, uh, the, the following day we were doing an alumni pro-am, and we had finished either 25th or 26th there at Inverness, and um, we were doing our alumni pro-am the next day, and um, I won't say the player's name, but he did win major championships, and he has and he played at texas and he he basically saw me in the uh uh, one of the first people i saw that morning which i knew was going to be a very difficult day because it wasn't uh an exciting moment for the aggies to beat the longhorns and no less big win a national championship and uh but but he said how in the heck do the aggies win a national championship and we finished 26 and my knees got kind of weak at that moment and i thought that you know, we were trying to do everything we could. We were about to catch up. But the bottom line was JT Higgins had done a sensational job, put himself in position. And that was the beginning of match play. And that was really, if, if I can put it in a way, there was a crime committed there. And that was <laughs> the fact that... That's not saying that they didn't win that championship because they beat Arkansas in the final. But the way the NCAA had designed the Elite Eight, one through eight, it was based on your finish at the national championship. And I know you know this very well, Mike. Uh, (laughs) Bottom line is Oklahoma State had what was arguably the best team that ever played college golf. Um, I think Ricky Fowler was on that team. Go ahead and tell me who
0: was on that team. Uh, Ricky Fowler, uh, Peter Uline, mm-hmm. Morgan Hoffman, uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Tway. And uh, let's see, we had, I'm uh, not thinking very, oh, Trent Leon, who was the third team All-American. Yep.
1: Correct. And so they won the, the 54-hole medal by 20 shots, I think. And unfortunately, but fortunately for an a and and an Arkansas, the number two team in the nation, which was arguably the second best team that ever played college golf at Georgia finished eighth in the, um, they finished eighth in the, in the medal, And all of a sudden you had the number one and two team going at it head to head in the first round of match play. And uh, Georgia darned if they didn't, uh, were are in a powerful position, which is, everything to gain and nothing to lose, and they beat Oklahoma State. And then I think they kind of just – it was just one of those things where they spent so much energy in that place, they weren't able to match up with Arkansas. So next thing you know, Arkansas is playing what was then the number 16-ranked team in the country, Texas A&M, and m and a and wins the national championship. That was a devastating day for me but it really added fuel to our fire here at Texas and, and uh, it, it, it has been helpful, but it was a
0: tough day. Well, it was, uh, it was a tough day for me too, John. That wasn't oh, bad. It Sorry wasn't to bad. remind you of that, Mike. No, but honestly, you know, well before that, two years before that I was preaching that we needed to keep the seeds that you brought, you came into the regional with and you came in the national championship with and nobody's, Nobody's ever really agreed with me. I guess you sort of agree with me. but Oh No,
1: I, I absolutely 100% agree with you, and I would love to to do that. Uh, it's just I guess they feel like in golf, like at the U.S. Amateur, how you finish in the medal is how you're going to be seated, And I don't like that for college golf because I think we need to exemplify what the season and the entirety of the season means. And if you went back to the original seeds, it would be a much more healthy uh competition i don't think that's ever going to happen because everything that we do at the national championship is to make it compelling for the viewer and those type of stories uh, just like when we beat oklahoma state at the blessings four years ago uh, in the semifinals that was compelling Uh, we should not have beat them but we did and um, that was a tough day for alan bratt Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i mean i guess you can look at it a lot of different ways but regardless, we are both thankful that our national championship is on television now, and I think it's brought a lot of interest in the college game, so it's definitely helped our college game. There's no question about that.
1: I 100% agree, and, and, and this year I found out exactly how that happened. I, I, I'd always thought that Mike Holder was at the crux of, of getting that done, and he was, but the person that that dreamt up the idea, the person that really brought it to the fore was Rick LaRose of Arizona. And when he got that in front of Holder, Holder bit off on it and thought it was great. And so he was in such a powerful position on the NCAA championship golf committee that that he was able to get that through. And really the rest is history. And now the changes in collegiate golf have been immense. We've got more and more tournaments on TV We've got more exposure for our players. It goes hand in hand with NIL, which is now a relevant part of our life, uh, which is name, image and likeness. And that the kids, even in golf, are able to uh, retain a financial value to themselves and now they're they're able to uh, make money. And uh, I'm excited for college golf. I'm excited for the coaches going forward. Uh, Those that work hard are going to do well and those that don't are
0: not. I agree with that. So, you and I are sort of doing a little history uh, lesson here today, which is good. It's actually kind of fun for me because I am sort of a golf historian. But so, let's talk about University of Texas golf. Obviously, it has been good for a long, long time. Uh, when Ben Crunch, Crenshaw and Tom Kite were there, they won a couple of national championships. And then there were several years where they didn't win one and had several close calls under Jimmy Clayton, who was a really great coach there at Texas. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this because I've always wanted to ask you this. I've never have, so I'm gonna do it here in a public forum. Uh, Jordan Spieth would be considered by most like a career changer. I mean, like just an unbelievable, and he is. That he was that guy, and he changed your program greatly. But I would go back to two years earlier when Cody Gribble was a freshman, because I think Cody Gribble, in my opinion, was a big catalyst for the reason you were able to get Jordan Speed to come to Texas, even though I think Jordan was always going to be a Texas kid, but t- talk to me about Cody and his impact on maybe encouraging uh, Jordan to, to make a, you know, a move to Texas. Is, did that have anything to do with it? Do you think?
1: <laughs> well, there's no question, um, but you have to go actually back two more years uh, to when we got Charlie Holland on the team because Charlie had come from uh, Dallas, Texas, Highland Park, had a tremendous spirit, uh, dad that was very competitive as well, uh, who's done great with Veritex Bank. Um, but bottom line is, is that Charlie Holland worked really hard, became an All-American, was a semifinalist in the U.S. Amateur, and he was a quarterfinalist in the U.S. Amateur and an All-American, and he did it really a little bit, well, he he wasn't the athlete that that today's players were, but he had an unbelievable spirit and an unbelievable short game and a tremendous desire for success and always shared that. Charlie did a couple things. He helped, uh, obviously, you can utilize your players uh, to help on these official visits and that sort of thing. But Charlie helped us recruit Cody Gribble. And when we got Cody Gribble, um and he came on the team he was a two-time state high school champion out of out of uh, Highland Park and basically he changed the he changed the entire dynamics on our team he was a man's man he was the greatest single recruiter that I've ever been around if you think pro and i um don't love Cody Gribble you're wrong we do he he really is at the center of our universe and uh, and that is just simply a fact um, I love Cody Gribble I mean he changed the dynamics he he came in with an unbelievable spirit and he was a great recruiter so if you look at our tree you would say that Charlie Holland helped us get Cody Gribble Cody Gribble helped us get Jordan Spieth Dylan Fratelli was already on the team uh, but uh, Jordan helped us get Bo Hostler and Gavin Hall. Those two helped us get uh, Scotty Scheffler and Doug Kim, And those guys helped us get Cole Hammer, Pearson Cootie, and Parker Cootie. And uh, those guys helped us get Mason Noman and uh, Travis Vick. And so it has been an unbelievable kind of bright, burnt orange, uh, burning bonfire of recruiting for us. And, and the reason is, and, and the core of that burning bonfire is Cody Gribble and Charlie Hall.
0: Well, you're you know, right I hadn't that. thought about Charlie as much as Cody, but you're right. I think that was that you're right. That's that was where it really started. And, you know, it wasn't always that way. You were in a little bit of a sort of a not a drought, but it wasn't as good for a few years for you before that. And so, yeah, uh, no, I, th- I,
1: that that happened, Mike, because. I came in with tremendous enthusiasm. And if you remember, we recruited uh, in 1997, 98, we recruited what was called the Fab Five. It was uh, David Gossett, number one junior in America, um, John Cloud, number two junior in America, uh, the number seven junior in America, or maybe number nine, um, was Russell Serber. And then Matt Bros was like 11 or 12. And, and uh, Cully Berrigan was like, 19th or 20th. And um, Golf Week actually called it the Fab Five. And we wrote on that. We finished third, fourth, and fifth in the national championship. Um, th- that team and what emanated out of that team was the United States Amateur Championship, uh, which was David Gossett. And then in 2002, three and four, we won our first big 12 championships. Um, we called it the 3 and then we got into the build of the golf course and I got distracted. I, I was looking at more where a bunker ought to be or where a tee box ought to be or the length of our golf course or how a fairway should be shaped. I got distracted and um, and that that hurt us in the 2005, six, seven, 8, and nine time frame. And um, truthfully. I think the good Lord sent us an Angelman, and that was Cody Gribble, because it absolutely changed the dynamics of our program at that time. And all of a sudden, we were relevant and could win, and uh, and it has been burning bright since then.
0: So, okay, there's a little bit of history for people right there about how it got to there, but let, let's talk about Jordan Speed because when Cody was there, you guys had a building team. You were getting better. But there wasn't the same energy as when that kid got on campus. Um, and I think it speaks to one incredible talent, but two, anticipation of that talent showing up on campus. But three, Jordan's just a very dynamic guy. I'm really, really, you know, obviously I was in the recruiting of Jordan Speeth as well, big time. I, you know, I'm, I'll never forget the day when Jordan called me to tell me he was going to the University of Texas. Um, he said, Coach, I just want you to know, uh, you did a great job recruiting me. I said, well, thanks, Jordan. But second place in recruiting doesn't get you very far. He goes, well, no, but I just want you to know, I was always going to be a Texas Longhorn. And you had, I got to the point where I decided to bring my whole family on that official visit. You know, he, so he brought his entire family to Stillwater. He said, I never would have done that. You, you made it, He made it hard for me to say no, and that was a great job. But I was probably always going to be a Longhorn. So I obviously are licking my wounds on that one, but I still have so much respect for that guy. and Just the way he's carried himself in pro golf has been amazing.
1: Yeah. I would say he's got one thing that there are a few golfers in this world, a few golfers in history have had. If you ask me what Jordan Spieth was to our career, I would say – He's probably a once-in-50-year player. I would say Phil Mickelson, who was around when you were, too, uh, was a once-in-75-year player. And Tiger Woods is a once-in-a-lifetime player. And Jordan Spieth has a commonality with both those guys, and I, I've termed it as delusional confidence. There's nothing that he he cannot dream up that he does not believe that he can accomplish meaning he immediately thought that we could win a national championship. And we did. One of the things that he told me when he was going to turn pro and it was December of his third semester at Texas. I asked him, I wanted him to know that I, I didn't want him to leave, but I knew it was the right time for him to leave. In other words, I, I told him, look, we love you. I don't want you to ever think that I want you to leave but I know it's the right time. And I said, but you need to do, there's a couple things I need for you to do. And I said, one of them, Jordan, is Pearl and I, when you play in the Ryder Cup someday, we want to be with you. We want to watch that tournament and we want to go out there and, and enjoy that with you. And he said, coach, that's no problem. Now, this guy had just missed in the second stage of the tour school. So I'm talking to him as he's going to go out and have to Monday qualify and do some things for the PGA Tour. But it's December, and he said, Coach, that's no problem. I'm going to be at the Belfry in two years, and you will be with me. You and Pearl will be with me, and we were. And and then he goes on to win two major championships, the Masters first and then the U.S. Open, And at that moment, I don't think anybody knew that it had occurred to Jordan that he just might win, not might, could win the Grand Slam of golf. And if you remember back, he almost, uh, he won the Masters, he won the U.S. Open, he had a top five finish in the British and was relevant all the way to the last couple of holes of the PGA. He almost did it. And that's okay with Jordan. He believes that he could do that, and that's okay. It's not a problem. It's not uh, without reality. And so I've sat with him since. I know he believes he's going to win more major championships. He told me one day just sitting on his couch in his house, he said, Coach, you know what? You can just do the math. I'm 20-something when we had this conversation. He said, think about how many major championships I'm going to play in the next 30 years. I'm going to win several of those, Coach. And that's what he believes. And I, I love being around him. He was great for us with match play. And um, like I said, he's the one that helped us bring Scotty Scheffler, too. So, um, And I will tell you this, going back to uh, Charlie Hall, after we got Cody and we knew we were going to get Uh, Jordan Spieth, or at least we were recruiting him really hard. I asked Charlie Holland uh, as a Dallas boy, I said, Hey, Charlie, who's going to be the next great player out of Dallas? He said, coach, no question about it. Not even a guess. He said, it's going to be Scotty Shuffler. And I said, really? I mean, that guy's like 12 years old. And he goes, I'm telling you coach, he is going to be great. I'm like, Okay. And I don't know if there was a bright light shining around him or what it was, but he was absolutely 100 percent right. And in my mind, thank God he came to Texas.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we just talked about a world number one, Jordan Speed and Scotty now world number one. I I don't know if it's true because I'm a golf historian. Not not sure if I have this perfect, but I think you're the only NCAA Division I coach to have coached two future world number ones. I don't think anybody else has done it. I mean, the odds of that happening are way astronomical. So congratulations on that. And and it's been fun watching Scotty because he's such a good dude also uh, get to the top of the golf world. He's done it in a beautiful way too.
1: Yeah, I would I would thoroughly agree with you, Mike. I would say that uh, they're both powerfully great human beings, and that is Scotty Scheffler and Jordan Spieth. They are, if you can imagine, they're both better people than they are golfers.
0: Well, I would think you'd probably know better than anyone. I mean, you 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 were around them every day for the the time they were in college, which was pre- pretty amazing. But have you talked to Scotty here any recently?
1: Oh yeah, we we had him in for our. Uh, Alumni Pro Am in, in um, early September, and we were fortunate. Uh, Jordan wasn't able to make game day, and um, unbelievably, the, the 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 people with game day ESPN reached out to us. We happened to have our national championship team there, and they asked if we'd go on stage with him. I asked Cole Hammer, Pearson, P- Cootie, Parker, Cootie, Travis, Vick, and Mason Know if they wanted to do it, even though it was just going to be a cameo and they all wanted to do it so when we got there the uh, the director a a woman who was a director of ESPM game day said hey coach here's what we want you to do you brought your national championship trophy go ahead and bring that up on stage we are going to highlight the director's cup but we've got another trophy with us coach and I'm like really what what is that and she said well Scotty doesn't know it but he won player of the year on the PGA tour. His peers elected him two days ago and we have the trophy and Uh we want you to give it to him. And I'm like, Oh, come on, you gotta be kidding. And she said, no, this is a reality. We're going to have it behind you. It's going to have a shroud draping it and we're going to take it off and give it to him. And that's what happened. And I was able to hand it to him. Scotty teared up. He had no idea that was going to happen. And it was a real live moment. It tells you right about him. Uh, how emotional he is, how much that meant to him. And for us, it was just another one of those blessings that might not ever happen again, probably will never happen again. And, and uh, not in that fashion where we were going to play Alabama that day. Scotty Scheffler, number one in the world, player of the year on the PGA Tour, standing with a national championship team at Texas. I mean, that is a crescendo in a career.
0: That's pretty good. you could you could uh, stop right now and that'd be a pretty good finish to your career, but I don't <laughs> think you're gonna stop. something tells me. <laughs> All right, like so um, I, I do want to talk about your national championship team from this year because um, I was very I, I'd say close. I pretty good acquaintances with Cole and Pearson and Parker and recruited Travis heavily. And uh, Mason Nome, I've I've known since he was about a 12-year-old. So it's a great group of Texas kids, really pretty impressive. I don't know if that will happen like that again. I don't know how many teams are going to have five. You know, for six straight years, my postseason team at Baylor was all Texas kids, every one of them. So that's kind of a rarity. uh, But you guys actually won the national championship with that group. So what kind of pride do you take in that?
1: absolutely i mean it was just another one of those blessings i mean that those guys would all come from texas and that they would all be at that high value with regards to the ability to win a national championship they were like brothers they all grew up together they uh even though two were from dallas and three were from houston um and they'd all done ridiculously special things in the amateur world and even played professional golf as an amateur and and uh it was just one of those moments in history that, again, probably won't ever happen again. Uh, in 1971, all five players uh, on our national championship team, the first one in University of Texas, they were all from Austin, Texas. That's even more uh, mm-hmm. defined. But this is just unusual. And, you know, we're all looking all over the world these days to, to find the best players. It's a world game. And uh, you know we've got Chris Moss on our team right now that is uh, the number one junior, number one amateur out of South Africa. Great young man, um, following in the footsteps of Brandon Stone and Dylan Fratelli who played for us. And it's just wild because the national championship team that won in 2012 for us, we did have two Dallas guys, which was Cody Gribble and Jordan Speed, but we had Dylan Fratelli from South Africa, Tony Hakula from Finland and then Julio Vegas from Venezuela. So you never know how it's going to happen. Um, I'm a believer just like you are, Mike, and I believe that things happen for a reason. I believe that, that um, we're here to help educate these kids and give them opportunities. And um, if a byproduct is a national championship, I know which you're a part of one as well, or two actually, uh, with Alabama. And I know you had a lot to do with that. But the bottom line is, we get to help educate these kids and then we get to uh, enjoy them for the rest of
0: our lives. Yeah, People, I always tell them that when they say, do you keep in touch with former players and I'll just show them my cell phone. And it's like all the former players I've coached are in that cell phone. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty excited that I think if, if I send a text to a player that they're not going to moan and groan, like, Oh my gosh, coach McGraw is texting me. It's like, That's a relationship that we started in recruiting and we've kept it throughout. And I can't wait to hear about their children or what's happening in their lives. I mean, that's one of the great joys we have as a coach and I think is way underrated. I mean, John, how many times have you coached? You've coached 36, 35 years, correct? Yeah. If the the benchmark was to win a national championship and that's all that was acceptable, then you've been a failure 33 years. Right, right. I can't I can't accept that. I can't.
1: No, no. The, the joy that we have, um, starting with the kids that we're recruiting right now. I mean, um, it's just wonderful to be around the guys that play golf, the parents that get their kids the opportunities, all the different things that are happening in the collegiate golf world. It's, it's a joy. It really is. And and it's it's expanding and getting better. And you're right, Mike. Uh, it, it's 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 I'm, I'm very appreciative that we've won tw- two national championships, but it truly is not about that. Um, it, it's more about the individual, and it's more about their success.
0: I agree. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more, actually. So, um, we, we've uh, obviously we've mentioned two of your best players you've ever coached, but you've coached a bunch of other uh, yeah. world number one amateurs, U.S. amateur champions. I mean, you've had a great run here at Texas. How much longer are you going to coach, John? Tell me. I I want the definitive right here I'm Better Than I Found It.
1: I'm 63 years old. I'm uh, in the second year of a five-year contract. I'm not going to look beyond that, but I am uh, healthy and happy. Pearl's healthy and happy. And as you know, uh, Pearl and I have been married 42 years, and she's been a big part of our program. She's she's, uh, enjoyed – our world and been great with the parents been great with the team. Um, She was an athlete in high school and college and she gets it. But We've just had a very nice run. You know, we're not the richest people in the world, but we're, we're pretty darn happy. And um, so what I'm telling you is, is that there, there is a next for me. Uh, We're going to host the national championship at La Costa in 24 25 and 26 and that's that's next and then there'll be more after that with regards to that tournament Uh, i want to try to keep my footprint in collegiate golf no matter what happens and i and part of that is going to be the the continued build of the national championship because i think we've got something special and i want to be part of that i think you need to be part of that as we go along and and there's a lot of older great coaches that i'm going to try to pull in and and create kind of some synergy there to to really build that uh, tournament into something special, and maybe have ten thousand people watching that someday, both men's and women's.
0: I think it'd be great. I, I'm thrilled at where it's gone or how it's gone, where where it's evolved to, and it's it's been fun to watch. I'm hoping to you know have my team at Greyhawk with you guys this spring. I mean, we're both hoping that, and then I've got a freshman on the team whose home course is La Costa. He grew up there. So we're hoping to take him back there three years. That would be nice. Absolutely. Uh, So, okay, so college golf has evolved and changed, and part of that is the conference realignment. So it's, like, not a secret to anybody, but the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma are both going to be moving to the Southeastern Conference so talk to me about that for you, what that means. I don't think it means a lot of difference in our regular season events at all. I think you'll play where you're going to play, but it does change where you'll play the conference championship.
1: Right. It doesn't really affect collegiate golf as much because we play all over. We play a national schedule anyway. It does affect our, our conference championship. We're going to go into the SEC. They, they have a match play component to their national championship. I happen to believe the Big 12 has it right. It is singularly the best um, conference championship in America. Four count five, which is what we normally do. That's our scoring. Metal play, 72 holes, identifying most likely the best team in the tournament and, uh, and, and most likely the best team in the Big 12. I think that's great because there's only one way to get to the national championship meaning you cannot qualify for the elite eight if you can't get through the 72 holes. And there's only one other time that we do that. And that is the big 12 conference championship. That's why I believe the big 12 has been so good over the last 15 years and truly has dominated, not only in the rankings, but also at the national championship. And you've been a part of an elite eight. I know you did it in Chicago uh bottom line there's no conference that can measure up to the big 12 and and the sec is loaded they've got great teams but i don't think that that is necessarily as healthy they want their conference championship to be on tv and make it compelling and and they have done that but the big 12 is going to be on tv so let's see what happens this year
0: well I, i agree with you there and you know it's um the One thing you didn't mention, which I know you agree with, is three great championship golf courses, Whispering Pines down in Trinity, Texas, Southern Hills in Tulsa, and Prairie Dunes in Hutchinson, Kansas. We not only get to play that great championship of 72 holes, but we play it on three great golf courses. So I agree with you. The Big 12 Conference has done an amazing job. The SEC has been awesome, too. They've been great as well. But uh, I think we've had a great, great run uh, in the Big 12. So hate to see you go, John, but I guess you're going to.
1: Uh, no, I, I just uh, needed to move around for just a minute. But no, I mean, I
0: in I hate to see you go to the oh. southeastern conference.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, you know what? I mean, it's just a function of money. But I'm excited to see what's happening with the Big Twelve, the teams that they've added, and and uh, we're going to get to see them at the Big Twelve Match Play Fall Tournament next year. So whether it's BYU or Houston or Cincinnati or Central Florida, I think it's going to be healthy. I think you guys got a great uh, new administrator or executive director of the Big 12. Uh, he's fighting the fight right now, and I think the Big 12 not only going to survive but it's going to thrive. And I think, you know, it, nobody has a magic wand, and nobody really knows where history is going to land but i would say in the next 15 years the big 12 could make a huge statement and uh, all the teams including baylor i mean your football teams your your basketball teams your athletic department is 100 percent dynamic and as a result kids are getting opportunities coaches are getting opportunities and the school is super proud of what they've done i mean Y'all won a national championship in, in uh, basketball recently, both men's and women's. I mean, you guys are part of success. Big 12 is going to survive. It's going to be really good.
0: I agree with you. going to be great. Well, uh, I've got one more question, John, and yeah. this is one I've been wanting to ask you for a while because you and I are basically the same age and we've both had mentors and we have both mentored. I have a question for you. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received from another coach? Describe that to me.
1: Yeah. Again, it it revolves around Mike Holder. But in 1989, I had been hired in 1987. And in 89, we went and put a bid down for the national championship. We wanted to host it at the championship golf course at the University of New Mexico. And that was uh, when we put the bid down, uh, they had just shifted gears to. Uh, a qualifying format where you would have regionals to qualify for the national championship. So at that time, there would be three regionals, one in the West, one in the central and one in the East. Well, we got the national championship in 1992. And I had a, a really nice team with Tim Heron and Brian Corton and a guy named Jason Pena and a couple others. And I had a really nice team. It was a top 20 team. Uh, But the West Coast was loaded, and I was really worried about qualifying for that 92 NCAAs because we poured over a half a million dollars into the clubhouse and and, uh, building a pavilion and all kinds of different things to get ready for the national championship. But lo and behold, we had to go to Tucson National to try to qualify. And at that time, nine teams advanced from the West, 10 teams advanced from the Central, and 11 teams advanced from the East. And that was just based on the number of teams in each area. Well, on the West Coast, there was 18 teams in the tournament and 10 of them were in the top 20. So I was particularly worried that we might not get out, even though I had a really good team. So I was bellyaching about it. and Mike Kohler heard me bellyaching about it. And he told me, he said, Johnny, they're not going to change that rule for you. They're not going to invite you to play in that tournament. You're going to have to go down there and you're going to earn it your guys are going to have to earn it. And I was thinking at the time, my I'm a class a PGA pro. I was kind of thinking in terms of how the PGA tour was and how it was in the early seventies and sixties, where if they hosted the Phoenix open at Phoenix country club, they would invite the head pro at Phoenix country club as a sponsor's exemption in the tournament, just so he could play in front of his members on a tour event. But, but, I was hoping that the NCAA might do that for the host. Holder told me that was not going to happen. And he he gave me probably the best advice I ever got as a coach. And that was that he said, Johnny, your team's going to feed off of you. So if you're going to behave like you're behaving right now and you are worried about advancing to the national championship and you feel like you might not get it done, you're exactly right. You're going to go down there and that's exactly what's going to happen. He said, but I will tell you this, if you go down there and you make it your business to have a lot of fun, if you make it your business to treat your guys right, have great dinners, maybe go to a movie, get them relaxed, and you go down there and you you just enjoy yourself as much as you can at, in Tucson, at the Omni Tucson National, he said, you go down there and do that, and I have a good feeling I think you'll get through that's exactly what I did, and my team played really as good as we could possibly play. I think we finished fifth, and um, that, that, one of the teams – well, Arizona State had Phil Mickelson. Uh, Arizona had what was going to then be the national championship team with Harry Rudolph and Manny Zerman and David Berganio and uh, Rob McGyver. I mean, they were – and. It's a certain guy named Jim Furyk that won the national championship that year, but the bottom line was my guys played great, and I owe that to Mike Holder. But it left an indelible mark on me, and that was my team was going to feed off me, and the way I behaved at tournaments gave them the opportunity to either success or fail, and uh, it was my choice at that point. So. That was singularly the best advice I ever got. I'm always appreciative of that. And uh, he was a, uh, Mike Holder has been a blessing for a lot of people and I'm one of them.
0: Well, and obviously I am. That's a great story. I had never heard that before. Um, And, you know, he talked to me about that on numerous occasions, you know, our guys are feeding off of what we are. So you better, you better get your stuff together there and settle down, Mike, because, You know they're gonna. If if I look nervous and feel nervous and act nervous, they are as well. And more, it's nervous enough anyway because it's a big event, right?
1: Uh, For sure.
0: So don't make it. I mean, the stakes are high. The The stakes stakes are are high. high. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's advice coming from somebody you competed tooth and nail with for a long, long time. And I know there were some tough recruiting battles in there and tough tournament losses and wins either way. So it's great to hear that one coach can help another. And, and you know what? I think it's incumbent upon us as coaches to give back to the sport, help each other out. It's not like just because he gave you that advice, which was good advice and helpful, but it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, now John's got an up on me. He, he I can't beat him now, but that's not it at all. We're growing our profession. So we should all yeah, do that.
1: I, I would absolutely agree. Um And that's, intrinsic to our sport, the great game of golf. And um, we're all blessed to be a part of it. And, and the collegiate golf world just gets better. I love it. I'm appreciative of it. I appreciate guys like you, Mike, and all the guys and great coaches that we get to play against and the players and great courses. Unbelievable time to be mm-hmm. a part of college golf.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, listen, John, this has been a, for one, it's been a really fun you know, walk down memory lane for me to hear all these stories from you. And you are truly one of the greats in our profession. Appreciate everything you do. And I love competing against you. I hope you and I both get to coach several more years. But I guess we'll know when the time is right. Isn't that right?
1: That's correct. And God bless you guys up there at Baylor. Uh, I'm appreciative. I love the Big 12. I love the coaches and the players. And and, uh, beyond that, uh, it's been a fun run.
0: All right. Well, you and Pearl have a great uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'll see you sometime in the spring, maybe at Cabo.
1: Will do.